What's up, guys? It's the phenomenal AJ Styles. You're listening to the two-man power trip. Oh, my God. This is Joey Styles, and you're listening to the two-man power trip podcast. This is Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. This is Cody Rhodes, the prince of pro wrestling, and you are listening to two-man power trip. This is Jimmy Vine, the boogie Wooker man. Tell my people my brothers and sisters, don't you dare miss John and Chad. Hey, everybody out there. This is the franchise Shane Douglas. Remember me? <laughs> well, guys, it's great to be on the show again i appreciate you asking me back so you said you were going to pinch yourself i didn't know it was that kind of show now i mean if you guys are in the privacy of your own home if you want to do these things good how you doing chad hey johnny cool man what's going on we're ready to go or what uh, uh, hey man what's up guys this is homicide oh that's my homie homicide with a big homie club yeah that would be it hey this is david penzer and this is the two-man power trip of wrestling well, thank you, thank you. Hear me, fear me. I don't do many wrestling shows anymore, probably because I'm a bit ignorant. You guys probably know ten times more than I do. Look, Mean Gene, I can't be beat. I'm the greatest of all time. And I would say that. And every kid, I, they knew they could kick the out of me. Great talking to you guys. It's been your pleasure. <laughs> They've worked in and around the wrestling business. They've studied thousands of hours of wrestling. And now... They bring to you the greatest legends, Hall of Famers, creative minds, and both current and future stars of pro wrestling. They are Primetime Pod and Chad, the two-man power trip of wrestling. Tremendous encounter still to come here at the Nassau Coliseum. Brutus the Barber Beefcake with vengeance on his mind. He'll take on the former World Wrestling Federation champion, the Macho Man Randy Savage. Woo! Wow! From the sky! Yeah, but guess what? You're not going to be saying former too much longer, yeah. Nassau Coliseum is going to witness, yeah, the vindictive emotion of Brutus the Barber Beefcake. But guess what? His vindictive emotion, sensational Sherry, means nothing, because I'm going to beat him and beat him flat. What do you think about that, sensational Sherry? Oh, yeah, Brutus the Barber Beefcake, we're not mad at you. We're not even angry with you, but we're going to give you something your mama should have given you a long time ago, boy, and then we're going to use you as nothing more than a mild stepping stone to get back at Hulk Hogan and to get the macho man back that belt around that way. Yeah. Brutus the Barber Beefcake has stated that he's going to have a haircutting party tonight, and you are the guest of honors. Ooh, well, guess what, Sean Mooney? Brutus the Barber Beefcake doesn't know everything. In fact, he knows nothing. Yeah. Guess what, Brutus the Barber Beefcake? I ain't your mama, but I am the Lord and Master of the Ring inside the squared circle. Ask Hulk Hogan and ask yourself, Sean Mooney. Let your conscience be your guide. Yeah. That match still to come. Stay tuned. Brutus the Barber Beefcake to face the Macho Man, Randy Savage. This is the two-man power trip of wrestling, brought to you today and powered by our good friends over at the Mid-Atlantic Gateway. Head on over to our Facebook page, which is facebook.com slash TMPT of wrestling, and you can enter to win your very own two-man power trip of wrestling exclusive Mid-Atlantic Gateway prize pack. 
All you have to do to enter is like our page, share the post, and you will be entered to win an absolutely unbelievable prize pack brought to you by our buddies down at the Mid-Atlantic Gateway, comprising of the book we've been talking about for the last couple of weeks, The Four Horsemen, The Ten Pounds of Gold, and The Big Gold Belt, as well as a few other goodies that they are throwing in there just for our listeners and again, you can go to facebook.com slash TMPT of wrestling, like the post, share the post. It'll be pinned right to the top of the page and you can enter to win this prize pack. And I don't think you want to miss out on any of that. But with all that being said, if you didn't know by now, my name is Chad. And as always, I'm joined by my tag team partner, the one and only John Paz. And John, I'm so unbelievably pumped today to welcome in our guest, a guy who's made his return back into the wrestling business and now is hosting a podcast on the MLW Radio Network, Primetime with Sean Mooney featuring Hacksaw Jim Duggan, and that is the aforementioned Sean Mooney who joins us today on the show, and I couldn't be any more excited to talk to Sean Mooney. This is a guy, when we talk about all these great promotions, we talk about the NWA, we talk about Smoky Mountain Wrestling, we talk about world class, we talk about Puerto Rico, we talk about Japan, we talk about all these great territories, but for me, obviously, I love the WWF, I'm a mid-80s WWF guy, and Sean Mooney was the host of the Event Center, which is where you got your information during those syndicated programs, during primetime wrestling, during the pay-per-views, he was manning the interview segments backstage that Mean Gene wasn't handling, but Sean Mooney was an absolute staple of that mid-80s, mid-to-late-80s WWF television run that was absolutely unbelievable. And Sean Mooney being back in professional wrestling is so cool to see because, I say, and I tell Sean right off the top, he's a guy that we were looking for for at least the first two years uh, before he kind of resurfaced of this show because I just thought he'd be such a perfect guest for us. And he does not disappoint. He does share a ton of cool stories, a ton of great scenarios, and a ton of backstage information that you might not have heard before, and maybe some that you have, but also he really wants you to listen to this brand new podcast that he has with Jim Duggan, which is kind of along the lines of what we're doing with Shane Douglas over on the Triple Threat podcast, where you'll get the chance to kind of hear the stories from somebody who was living it from the talent perspective and then somebody who was living it from the television perspective. So it's a very cool mix. Obviously, one of the main things you got to worry about on a show like that is Hacksaw because he's uh, definitely eccentric and he's definitely a guy who could definitely go off the rails and tell some crazy stories. But Sean Mooney, definitely somebody who will be able to rein him in. And I think from what we've heard so far on the show, it's about four episodes in at this point. It's been really cool. And Sean Mooney's just got such a classic, classic personality and a classic, you know, dry wit, dry sense of humor that you just, you get very, uh, you get very entertained by a guy like Sean Mooney. And him telling us these stories was just so cool. And John, as I get to welcome you in here, why don't you talk a little bit more about Sean Mooney? Obviously, like I said, just a guy we completely grew up getting that information from, whether he's telling us what was coming to Madison Square Garden or who was going up to, you know, the Boston Garden or who was going to be, you know, at the Worcester Centrum. All the great information that you got back in the day on the event center came through the lips of Sean Mooney. And it is uh, it was really, really surreal to be able to welcome in such a staple of that early day 
of your fandom, early days of uh, being obsessed with this uh, this wacky world of pro wrestling. But, John, why don't you share with us a couple of the highlights and some of the things we have to look forward to in this awesome interview with Sean Moon. Yes, Chad, the two-man power trip has done it again, and we're bringing back one of your favorites, yes, Sean Mooney, Mr. Event Center, Mr. Coliseum Video, Mr. Primetime. He is Sean Mooney, and it's an awesome honor to be able to get him on our show. And obviously, Chad, like you mentioned in the interview, he is one of those guys that we just love and we wanted to get on for a very long time. You know, just thinking about Sean Mooney and thinking about, you know, his history, it brings up our history and our childhood. And we're, you know, he's one of those guys that we remember as a kid, you know, whether he was sitting in the event at the event center, whether it was on prime time, whether it was backstage interviewing guys. It was one of those guys that always sticks in your head like, oh, I wonder what Sean Mooney's up to. Uh, Sean Mooney's a guy I always wanted to talk to. Sean Mooney's a guy I was always, always a fan of. So it's awesome to be able to get him on and that classic voice to hit our airwaves is pretty amazing. And I just love to be able to, you know, get some of those highlights, like you said, share some of those great stories, like with a Lord Alfred Hayes, and really get behind the scenes of that relationship, which seemed like it was great chemistry on air, and then as we learn, it's great chemistry off air as well. And of course, you know, you get stuff on Gorilla Monsoon, Bobby the Brain Heenan, Vince McMahon himself, so there's a lot of fun stuff, a lot of great stories, a lot of highlights, and of course, we do talk about primetime his new podcast on the mlw network with ho hacksaw jim duggan another a former guest of ours really looking forward to uh digging deep into that show and getting into all the history there because not only is it great to have hacksaw on and obviously you know get a lot of him but when the host is sean mooney it makes it extra interesting and it makes it a lot of a fun you know to be you know an old school WWF fan and really learn the history there and learn some of the backstage stuff not just your oh what you know what are you thinking about this promo they're going to dig deep and they're going to go behind the scenes of the Royal Rumble which Hacksaw won the first ever they're going to go behind the scenes of a, a lot of different things including primetime wrestling superstars wrestling challenge all those things that you've seen Sean Mooney and a Quite frankly, all those things you've seen Hacksaw Jim Duggan on as well. So sit back, relax, enjoy this one, because this is a great, really fun trip down memory lane. I hope you enjoy it as much as we did when we were recording it. So like I said, sit back, relax, and enjoy the legendary Sean Mooney. Strap in, pretend it's Saturday morning, get in front of your TV, Think you're going to watch WWF Superstars and get ready for a little Sean Mooney and the two-man power trip headed your way. And we want to thank Sean Mooney so very much for coming on the show. It was an absolute dream to get him out of the two-man power trip of wrestling portal here and get him out to our listening audience. And you can catch Sean Mooney on his show, Primetime, with Hacksaw Jim Duggan and Sean Mooney on the MLW Radio Network. And get over there, listen to them, and go find yourself some more just amazing stories from two great WWF veterans like Sean Mooney and Hacksaw. Jim Duggan, give him a big ho. 
from the two-man power trip as well. So, like I said at the beginning of this episode, we have a huge giveaway starting today on our Facebook page. If you head on over there and you like the picture and share the post, you can enter to win a Mid-Atlantic Gateway two-man power trip of wrestling prize pack consisting of a couple of the amazing books released by Dick Bourne and the Mid-Atlantic Gateway and, of course, David Chappell and the great folks that do an amazing job preserving the history of Mid-Atlantic wrestling and just classic, classic professional wrestling moments on that Mid-Atlantic Gateway site, which is midatlanticgateway.com. Check out all the things inside of this prize pack, and all you need to simply do is like the post, share the post, or excuse me, like the page, share the post, and you will get yourself entered to win this Mid-Atlantic Gateway prize pack, and we couldn't be any happier to get this out to our audience. We have a lot of great listeners, a lot of old-school fans, and if you're not already checking out the Mid-Atlantic Gateway, well, hopefully this prize pack will push you forward and get your butts over to midatlanticgateway.com so you can see all the amazing things and all the help they've given us over the last couple of months whether it was promoting our big show at Hurley's on May 20th that was an amazing job they did for us as well as going really above and beyond and helping us promote our Ronnie Garvin Q&A with Classic Pro Wrestling. So a lot of great stuff from us in the Mid-Atlantic Gateway and hopefully more to come in the future. Check out all the amazing books on the Mid-Atlantic Gateway and just go out of your way to educate yourself in the history of professional wrestling. So, John, with all that being said, hit him with a little bit of two-man power trip of wrestling business and get it on over to the great Sean Mooney. Now for some TMPT business. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Two Man Power Trip and at Wrestling Pal. Please subscribe to us on YouTube. Also, subscribe to us on iTunes. Please leave us a review. We'd love to hear your feedback. Also, while on iTunes, check out the feed for prior legendary episodes featuring the living legend Bruno Sammartino, the late great American Dream Dusty Rose, the Enforcer Arn Anderson, Ray Mysterio Jr., Glenn Kane Jacobs, the phenomenal AJ Styles, lead WWE attorney Jerry McDivitt, and so many others. Also, while you're on the internet, check out ProWrestlingTees.com. Yes, that is ProWrestlingTees.com. They are your superstore for all your wrestling t-shirt needs. Check out our page. Check out Tito Santana, Coco Beware, Kevin Thorne, Buff Bagwell, Magnum TA, and so many others. Also, while you're on the web, check out our website, TMPTofWrestling.com. And if you're on Android, please check us out on Google Play or Player FM. Follow along with the two-man power trip of wrestling in 2017 as we hit the road and we come to a town near you. Follow us down to Philadelphia where we hit the Icons Collectors Fest at the 2300 Arena. So please follow along with the two-man power trip of wrestling in 2017 because you never know where we may land. And now, without any further ado, the current host of the Primetime Podcast on the MLW Network is a former play-by-play announcer, a former backstage announcer. You might know him from his days in the WWF, at the Event Center, for Coliseum Video, and for all your favorite moments, he is Sean Mooney. Please enjoy.
Well, joining us on the line tonight is somebody I can honestly say when we started this show two and a half years ago was at the top of my list. Uh, I personally grew up watching this guy and wanting to get into broadcasting and knowing that if I was going to be a professional broadcaster, I would have to be like Sean Mooney. And I can't believe we're actually welcoming him in here tonight on the two-man power trip. The one and only Sean Mooney. Thank you so much for joining us tonight. But you're the guy that's been stalking me for two and a half years, huh? <laughs> it's been me. I've been, I apologize now as I have you on the line, but I, I can't tell you it enough and it's not blowing smoke up your rear end. It is so cool to see you back doing this podcast that we're going to talk about here in a minute, but it's just very cool that you're doing this show. Like I said, always been a big fan of yours and uh, welcome back into the world of professional wrestling. Hey, well, uh, thank you. Uh, and really, I, I'm, I'm uh, honored to be on, on your podcast. You guys uh, have a, a lot of uh, listeners. I know that. And, uh, you know, a, a lot of people think that I've really been out of it. And I really, I haven't. I mean, I, I left in 1993 when I left the WWF. But, um, you know, I've, I've stayed in touch with a lot of those people that I work with. And I've been back a few times to do, do some, uh, some work with the WWE now. Uh, as a matter of fact, I just, a couple of months ago, I was back there uh, doing... DVD shooting some wraparounds for a DVD that's coming out this fall uh, of unseen matches. It's going to be a really great DVD. So folks should look out for that because it's stuff that is never, you know, they're from house shows and uh, other matches that were never shown on television. And I think there's going to be a few surprises for people because there's some matches in there where you've got some uh, big name superstars who had other gimmicks or, you know, aliases that they wrestled under. So it's a really fun DVD. So I hope folks watch out for that. That DVD, I'm sorry to cut you off, that DVD has quite the buzz around it because those are matches that, yeah, that the, you know, the quote-unquote wrestling nerd, the hardcore fan, they have been waiting for WWE to open up the vault. And seeing that you were attached to it, obviously, for the old school fan, we love that. And it's, uh, it's got a, quite the buzz uh, around it. Well, I'll tell you, uh, it's been really fun. Uh, as of late and i'll tell you one thing that really got me back into it you know is when the network came out you know and that and that all brought all this stuff back and it's been really fun because now what we have with twitter you know and all the social media and people started sending me uh i actually uh, you know I, I work as a news anchor out in arizona and uh, you know i had a twitter account that was kind of devoted mostly to news stuff and i started getting all these people coming on there after i, w I did the uh thousandth episode of raw so i thought you know what this this ought to be fun but i want to have something separate you know so i can really you know post stuff up there and it won't be news related so i started the, my own this twitter account which is at sean mooney who and for those of you who are true you know well uh, educated wrestling fans you probably know exactly where that came from and uh people send me gifts all the time you know of these scenes from coliseum home videos and i i'm telling you i forgot about all the stuff that Lord Alfred and I did because um, one thing that's really changed over the years is how everything is so scripted. Back then, Alfred and I, literally, I'm not kidding you, when we used to do those Coliseum Home Video, we used to basically make them up because they didn't really know what was going on with those things. They, they didn't know what was going to turn into you know, the market that it was. And uh, so we used to just do those, those wraparounds with stuff we found in the prop closet. So it's really been a lot of fun. Now, those are the best, and we're going to definitely get into that because uh, I'm telling you, I grew up with the Coliseum videos, running to the video store, whether it was the best of the WWF, the Super Tape, the Invasion of the Body Slammers, the Battle of the Superstars. 
I could go through the whole entire list, but I want to talk about the podcast first, and that's now on the MLW Radio Network, the illustrious MLW Radio Network, which has got so many amazing shows, but now features primetime with Sean Mooney and a former guest of ours and somebody who I know you've introduced many a times into the event center, Hacksaw Jim Duggan. What do you think so far about the podcast world and teaming up with the Hacksaw now to do a, uh, a show where I know it's got to be kind of hard to get the Hacksaw to sit down and uh, and really focus in? Yeah, uh, Hacksaw is pretty old school. And, uh, you know, this, this whole podcast thing, because I, I really... I'm pretty tech savvy, but I wasn't really into the podcast world, and it has really just blown up. And uh, you know, MLWRadio.com has certainly uh, led the way uh, as far as wrestling podcasts go. And they, you mentioned, uh, you know, the tremendous talent that's on that network right now is is incredible. And the and the show, you know, something to wrestle with, uh, Bruce Pritchard, and uh, you know, the the show. Uh, uh, what happened when with with Tony Schiavone? You know those shows have really uh, taken that network into the stratosphere. So when um, you know Court Bauer, who was uh, runs the network, contacted me, and it was just one of those things. He sent me uh, actually on Twitter a message uh, about you know if you're ever interested in doing something like this, we thought you might you know you would do really well in this. A lot of folks ask about you all the time, and I you know I just thought ah you know what why would anybody want to hear the stories I have to tell, and then you know. I talked to a lot of my friends and uh, people that I knew from the old days back in the WWF. A few people are still with WWE, and they're like, yeah, you should do this, man, because it was such a great period of time. I mean, it's never been recaptured. I mean, uh, that, that period from, you know, the mid-'80s well into, say, I'll, you know, I'll say straight through to the 90s was just a magical time uh, when, you know, uh, it just was a, a completely different world. And, and I'm not, I am not knocking, please, folks, I'm not knocking what's been done since, but back then you know the superstars really were uh, you know bigger than life in a lot of ways and there really was this uh, you know it was there was a lot of like old school in there where guys really uh, you know came up with their own storylines they you know had their own characters they were allowed to develop those characters and it just it was just a, a great a period so uh, I didn't want to do a podcast where somebody would come on and just interview me, basically, and you know, pick my brain. I wanted to do something that was really going to be more interactive. And I started thinking I'd love to do this with somebody else. And I always, you know, Hexine, I always got along really well. I always thought he was one of the funniest human beings. You know, he could have been a comedian, which he is. You know, he does stand up. And uh, I just figured, you know what? I'll just give him a call and just see what he says. And it, it took took a little bit. <laughs> For him to really uh, get on board, but you know now he is, and it's a work in progress. It's a new world to me, and I'm I'm enjoying it. No, that's awesome to hear. And we uh, we interviewed Hacksaw about his comedy show uh, that he was doing a northeastern leg of his comedy tour, and we interviewed him. It had to have been about three months ago. So hopefully, we maybe played a part. He just had a good podcast experience, so maybe that's what finally sealed the deal for him. But two man power trip is what uh, you know made him made him decide. So you're right. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Hey, we like to have the, the feather in the cap. Plugging this too. I want to plug in. It's prime time with Axaw, Jim Duggan, and Sean Mooney. You can get it on iTunes and uh, be sure to subscribe and download it there. Or, of course, you can go to MLWRadio.com. Uh, Absolutely. And it's uh, it's been, I listened to the first one. I thought it was unbelievable. And I and I gotta say, you know, the response from this fan base. This is the '80s kids. These the, the people who grew up watching you Saturday morning, 
and Sunday and then on to prime time and then later in the early days of Monday Night Raw, we're now the ones who are consuming all this content and we're putting these shows on our phone and we're listening to them on the go. But are you surprised with how much the fans have taken to that now, that era, the 80s, golden era as we look at it, and that all we want is more information and more stories about what we consider to be the heyday? Well, you know, I think initially because I was out of it for a while, you know, um, like I said, I did stay in touch with people, but I, you know, and I think what really, uh, you know, brought it back, at least for a lot of people, there's some people that certainly never forgot it, but there wasn't that, uh, you know, availability to see that material. Well, now with the WWE Network, you can go on there and just, you know, see anything. I mean, I go on there and I, you know, I'm I'm seeing things I have that I have no recollection of doing, uh, but then I see it and I go, yeah, I remember that. I, I, you know, the other night I was looking at uh, primetime, and the and uh, you know somebody had sent me a gif of uh, General Adnan and uh, Sergeant Slaughter and Colonel Mustafa had me on the roof, and I, uh, <laughs> I totally forgot about that. And I was like, what a how much fun that was, you know, and some of these other things that uh, that uh, now I'm getting to see, and it's really brought it back. For me, and I, I totally, you know, I, I, I totally understand. And, and Hacksaw and, and Jim and I have had, you know, a lot of conversations that, you know, we knew then. People that were involved in that, I don't think anybody took that for granted. That uh, they knew, you know, what a phenomenon that was after '85. You know, and it just WrestleMania, uh, you know, after WrestleMania three, it just it was it was an incredible period of time to be, about uh, you know, watching it, but also fact that I got to be on the other side of that curtain you know I knew then it was really a special time and I you know I've, I've never ever you know not valued that and yeah it's something that it's still you know with this DVD now coming we're just getting more and more of that era that we so just want to consume and I know I could speak for myself I could speak for my partner and saying that when we looked forward to Saturday morning and we knew somebody in the chair like a Shaw Mooney was going to be giving us the event center there was definitely the feel that you came from outside of professional wrestling and to know that you came from the news world into wrestling and taking the place of another guy who has a vast sports background with Craig DeGeorge, a.k.a. Craig Minervini, that was uh, quite the spot to fill. So why don't you tell us about how you kind of acclimated into the WWF at the time and filling the spot of a Craig DeGeorge? Well, I'll tell you, you know, at the time, I, I didn't come from a news background at that point. You know, I had worked... Uh, at for Major League Baseball production, so I, I had a sports background as well. And the way uh, you know I was hired is I worked on a show that uh, MLB Productions had produced. It was that uh, the WWF had seen, and, and then I was given the opportunity to audition. And uh, you know, going in there, you know, Vince liked what I did in front of a camera. I uh, you know got through the audition, and you you know how many hundreds of people you know are, are wanting to get those positions so i think he he uh you know liked what i did but i don't think they knew what the heck to do with me and um when i got there so they had me you know filling in at different places and craig de george at the time was getting ready to leave and uh they had just started that event center and gene didn't really want to do that because it was so intensive I and mean, if you think about it we used to customize markets you know uh and on average of say 90 markets a week because you know you were you were building up these shows three weeks prior, so you know I'd say three weeks from tonight at the Rosemont Horizon, you know I saw Jim Duggan taking on Yokozuna. Well, I would do that for every single market, and uh, it was you know I, it would take me 
usually four days through the week, you know, eight plus hours a day in front of a camera uh, doing those markets. And if somebody got hurt, you'd get the phone call. I had a big red phone on this desk and they'd call me and tell me, you know, um, you know, Berserker got hurt or, you know, somebody. And, and if they were on a card, you had to redo every one of those markets he was in. So it was it was really intense. But you think about it, like what a brilliant idea that was to do it that way because we were able to customize every single market and gene uh you know gave me a tip early on he said you know when you go to these cities uh you know not like you get on the internet like you can today and you know go look up local places you know i had maps and stuff but when i went to a city i would pay attention to what was around the arena a bar or you know or somebody had a friend there they'd tell me that person's name and then remember i would come on and they'd say hey you know want to see uh you know Bill Johnson, who lives over there on the south side, you make sure you're there because I'm going to be looking for you. And people would be like, how does he know this? He's like talking to people there. Or I'm going to, you know, don't miss uh, all you guys that hang out over at the, uh, the Loose Lady Bar. You better be heading over to the, you know, whatever the arena was. And it was a way to really customize it. You couldn't do it today because, you know, they literally sent videotapes to markets, every single one of them. Now, you know, they, they don't have it that way. Everything is uh, digital, and, and you, you couldn't do it that way for each market. So it's, it, was a, it was a great uh, marketing plan, and they were able to do that on a grand scale, and I think that's also what helped blow it up. Now, how about the selection process by a guy like, uh, obviously, the boss, Vince McMahon, and, and being so TV-driven at that point to get the live events, uh, the eyeballs on those, and the fannies in the seats – how much of a role does Vince McMahon play into bringing you in in the uh, audition process or the interview process or the tryout process? Well, I think uh, to this day, um, Vince has a, a fingerprint on every single thing that happens there, whether or not it's, uh, you know, he's there when it happens, but he knows everything that's going on. And, uh, you know, he was at the auditions and, uh, you know, everything that we did, he would he would be uh, a big part of. So. Um, I didn't actually get to meet him until I think the, you know, maybe I was three weeks there, but, uh, you know, he was behind the glass from what I understood and, and, uh, I got the call. So, uh, but you know, Vince was a big part of everything you did when you did interviews at the arenas, he was in the room and when you, anything you did out on the floor, he was either, you know, listening and, uh, that has never changed since, you know, when he first really took over back in 82 to, to now. And uh, look at how many years down the road we're looking at <laughs> at this point. But his enthusiasm has never changed. Now, did it make you nervous at all to know that the boss was playing such a role like an announcer, but also running the show to know that maybe he could get distracted. But if there's something that I kind of screw up or something that I got to focus on, um, that he's going to find out some way or another, whether he's a gorilla position or he's at ringside, that you still got to be on point because, you know, the boss has his eyes on everything that's going on. No, absolutely. But, you know, if you live in a house like that, you get used to how, you know, what the house rules are. And, and you, you learn that's, that's the way it is. Uh, and I'll, I'll tell you, though, you know, from what I've heard from, and knowing from some of the other announcers, it's a lot different. I mean, back then, he wasn't in everybody's ear uh, wearing headsets, walking around the arena like that. And, you know, people like Bobby and Gorilla basically got to, you know, do play by play. Uh, between all the promotions and everything that's changed now, it's a lot more intense. But I'll tell you, back then it was, it was definitely, uh, you always knew he was watching. And, you know, you just got used to, to performing that way. And it was good because you knew, you know, you had to nail it. And, 
and, and it was good to make you better and better, you know? So you get a guy like Vince who is so hands-on and you get the cast of characters that are around and I kind of want to stay with the television side first because there was such a, a huge push for TV in all the different markets and all the market-specific television and doing different interviews and having to kind of have a different script for all the different places. Like you mentioned, the Rosemont Horizon. Well, there's other places in uh, the Chicago, uh, greater Chicago, Illinois area that you're going to have to hit too. So did you kind of get used to having to play the different markets off each other and having that director on the floor telling you, all right, now we got to switch to Peoria. Now we got to switch to Milwaukee. You know, was it always a constant changing thing when you were doing these uh, market-specific uh, event centers? Oh, absolutely. I mean, it, it just got to the point, you know, initially it was really, it was tough because I wasn't familiar with all those markets. But then after you do them, you know, week after week after week, uh, you know, you, pretty, you get to know the names, you get to know the places, and it's, uh, you know, it's much easier. But, you know, you couldn't put all that material in a teleprompter. It would have just been impossible. So I had to ad-lib all those. And what we would do is put, uh, you know, do a card on a, on a legal-sized piece of paper, and they would put it in front of a camera, which would be like the teleprompter camera, so it would put it in the lens. So all I would see would be just the, the card. It would be, you know, the rundown, which was Hulk and Warrior and uh, Big Boss Man and whatever. It would just... that. And, I would just get a, a script going in my head or whatever, and then I would just keep repeating it for each different market, but changing the venue. Uh, and then I would have little notes for certain places that you know that I wanted to mention, and we would just roll. And you you get into it. You know, after a while, it's, it was uh, you get into a rhythm of doing it. But I would lose my voice, you know, three or four times a year because that was a, an awful lot of talking. And then we would, you know, I'd go to uh, TVs here and there. And then, of course, we had our pay-per-views, and a lot less than they have now, but, you know, it was a pretty busy schedule. But it made me uh, a, a, a good, uh, you know, it, it, it gave me every single experience you could possibly have in front of a camera. You know, I had studio work. I had, you know, uh, live event work doing, you know, uh, backstage interviews. We would do live interviews out in front of a crowd. And so, you know, as, an, as a uh, broadcaster, you could not have asked for a, a better training ground get better and better and and i give you know vince mcmahon credit you, you talk about how tough he was on you but at the same time he was never really one of those people that would just get in your face and i know that they see the uh you know the, that persona but he could be very patient i mean really especially me you know when i got there and I, if you ever looked at some of the stuff that the early on stuff I'm like my god how in the world did they ever hire me i, I used to, i look at that stuff and i'm like who was i yelling <laughs> you know howard finkel was in charge of the event center he was the one that organized that was one of his other jobs that he did he was a ring announcer and so you know his idea and how they sold back then was you just you projected but here i'm doing these and i'm looking like what the heck so finally i just had a i told him i can't, first of all i can't do this you know over and over and over i won't even be able to get through two days and i said it's just not what i think we need to do to put these over i got i want to I want to be the credible news person. You know, when you go back to the event center and I react to all this craziness going on around me and I'm kind of the, you know, the stable force and I want to deliver it like that. And they, and they said, all right, well, we'll see how it goes. And that's when, if you, you'll see, if you look, I don't know, people watching week after week, you suddenly would have seen, okay, oh, so that's the guy, you know, that, that was who I was. And, uh, and from that point on, then I really, had a great time and to me it was almost like developing a character you know or, or, or you know a, a persona that that really worked i think with with, with 
they were doing with the event center and being able to re react and you know that was the same thing I did when I did interviews. I was able to have that same kind of like what what in the world I'm it's crazy you know. And Gene had his own uh, way of uh, he did conducted interviews and I I had this whole different persona as well when I was with him. Now with Vince specifically, you said you know he could be patient, but he could also be tough on you. Obviously, you no know, persona on him that you know he can get a little crazy. I guess. But what's kind of your overall feeling of Vince at this point? Were you intimidated by him at all, or you felt, you know, he's your boss, you're just going to listen to him? Uh, uh, all of that. I mean, he could, you know, he was he's a really intense individual, and that there was no question about that. But like I said, you know, he also could be, uh, you know, really patient with you. I remember one time, and I can't remember where the arena was, but I was supposed to go down and do this stand-up thing in front of a steel cage, and I couldn't get that thing right, you know, or whatever. They kept in my, you know, they kept talking to me to say these certain things, and I was just like so much information, and I couldn't get it. And Vince came down from, uh, you know, the control room area there, and he just said, you know, hey, pal, we're gonna get this right. We'll just take it in these steps like this, and he kind of walked me through it, and I nailed it, you know. But he could have gone down there like, yeah, you know. Get, get him the hell out of there. Let's get some of this. Get Gene in here to do it. You know, but he would, he didn't do that, and that helped my confidence a lot because I knew, okay, yeah, he's tough on you, but at the same time, he's going to work with you, and he wants you to to be better. And uh, you know that, that I never forgot that he you know he taught me a lot, and it was a tremendous experience. Now, how about a guy like me, Gene Oakland, like you mentioned before, <laughs> there, kind of helping you out at all? Is he being a wise man? Is he not helping? Oh, Gene, Gene was always good to me uh, for a, a lot of different reasons. I'm sure he liked the fact that he had somebody that could, could carry some of the load because he was doing a lot, an awful lot uh, back then. But, you know, it, it took a while with all of those people, you know, with people like Gorilla and, you know, and Alfred, you know, who became one of not just a, a close colleague. I mean, he was a, like my best friend there. I mean, we became incredibly close. But. Uh, especially I came from a different world and, and uh, I've talked about this before and like in our podcast I think that uh, what my uh, approach to this was that here I was just somebody who really did he came from uh, I came from a different world and it was when the kind of old school wrestling and this new age of uh, production that Vince was trying to take everything to the next level and he started bringing in all these people from the outside he realized you know we can't, I can't keep continuing to improve the quality of this product with people who've been shooting, you know, wrestling in, in studios and that kind of thing. He looked at it from a network point of view, and he brought people like that in. And in 1988, when I got there, there was, it was a massive collision of people that were not necessarily involved in wrestling, who were kind of thrown into this world, and then you had the old school, and then you had other wrestlers who were coming in that you know, the Vince was bringing in that weren't necessarily from old school, and all these people were colliding. It was the Wild West, and uh, it was it, it was uh, you know a really interesting period of time, and and it was you know the locker rooms were closed. You walk in, they're speaking Carney, and uh, it was do ribs on you to see what you would how you'd react and if you could you could uh, handle it. And uh, fortunately for me, people like Gorilla Monsoon and, and Alfred. Took my took me under their wing early, and Gene was also you know helpful. They they guide, kind of guided me along. But uh, I was I've told people this before that one of the best pieces of advice that you know Gorilla ever gave me is just said, don't ever think that you're one of them. 
and uh, you can be, you know, uh, friendly and have you can have friends or whatever. But don't ever think that you're one of the boys. And I never forgot that. And I think that you know, it took about a year, and then I was I was I was accepted. I won't say I became I was in, but I was accepted, and I, and I that's when everything changed. But that first year was really tough, really tough. I could definitely see that, and, and that's, that's kind of um, you know indicative of the time. It's kind of like an old school mentality. It's not really bullying per se, but it's like that old school mentality where you, you kind of got to earn yourself. Your spot, yeah, well, you're right? tested. It, it, you know, I'll say you're tested, and uh, you know, I had uh, gone to New York City when I graduated from college when I was 22 with three bags, and you know, uh, going to a city I'd never been in. So, I I had a pretty you know tough. Uh, exterior and interior to, to be able to handle stuff but it was you know things would happen and, and I would just just kept my mouth shut and then I just kept doing my job like nothing happened and you know time after time and then it didn't happen so often and then you know then it didn't anymore and uh, you, I think that uh, you know then you had a mutual respect and after that you know it was uh, you, you I was able to really do good work I think because they wanted to work with you too Absolutely, and you know, speaking of Lord Alfred Hayes, you would think he's like this prince, uh, proper old British guy, but I guess that was not the case with all these kind of rumors and stories. What are some good, you know, Lord Alfred Hayes stories that, that you can say on air? Oh wow, uh, Alfred was—he uh, was awesome. Um, when you know, we all lived in Stanford or in the surrounding areas, and uh, you know, Alfred. Um, <laughs> We used to we used to pal around a little bit around there in Stanford, and you know uh, he was he was quite uh, uh, you know he was very good with the ladies even when he and he was older than uh, a lot older than me at the time. Before we used to go into uh, uh, downtown Norwalk, and you know Alfred was he always used to amaze me. Like we, there would be five ladies at the table, and <laughs> he was just and uh, I, I used to love uh, his the way he used to put things, you know, he never got mad. He would say, if something happened, he'd say, drat. Uh, he was pretty smooth. Even in his uh, heyday. I mean, uh, that's, as, that's as much as I'll tell you about Alfred. But, uh, <laughs> but he was, a, but he was a, you know, a, a great guy. And uh, he used to, uh, you know, hang out in the control room. He used to love uh, playing cards with the guys, and he'd do crossword puzzles in there. And, and it was really like a family there. We all hung out together and uh you know even like kevin dunn was a producer there at the time and it was a really small uh really unit of people there that we had one edit room and this is when all that stuff was really starting to explode but it was uh it was a really fun time when to see how that all developed and i back sense to see how gigantic that production facility has become and then what the and you go to one of these shows now and like oh my god it's just crazy it's crazy what it became, but if you think about it, it all kind of became that way on the backs of the guys of that era. They were really the larger-than-life characters, gimmicks, whatever you want to say, that really kind of launched a real big boom period in wrestling. When you were, you know, in that boom period, did you like sit there and almost think to yourself, "Oh my God, you know, there's Hulk Hogan, there's Macho Man, there's Piper, there's Warrior, and these guys are, you know, they're not six foot six. These guys are eight feet tall, you know, nine hundred pounds. These guys are larger than life." Oh yeah, and they and they were in a lot of ways. Uh, but like anything else, when you are working around uh, people, it's like you're at any other job. You know, um, 
they it, it was it's always was uh, I always got kind of a kick out of you know these guys would be out there and do all these crazy things and they'd come back you know and you'd see somebody like uh, you know Animal and uh, uh, those guys you know that um, or Action Smash or something and they, you know they got all this stuff on in their face paint and they're like you know talking about buying a lawnmower this weekend you know it's <laughs> just like regular normal <laughs> life stuff uh, so you know after you'd been around them you, 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 you knew a lot about their families and you knew you know, they were just like everybody else hoping to you know they couldn't miss their kids and we would talk about stuff like that but uh, but when you'd see and and I've heard people say this more than one time too but you know you go out there and you'd see the crowd reaction and, and I had worked around you know, professional sports, especially Major League Baseball, been in these great stadiums, been to World Series. And I remember the first time I went out when, uh, you know, Hulk uh, came out to a crowd and just, you know, the, the pop in the building, I had never experienced. You could feel it in your chest, you know. And that, I, that, I remember that thinking, oh, my God, you know, this this is uh, the way this guy could make humans react is is really unbelievable. And you saw that with some of the others, too. But I just remember the first time that I went out there and Hulk, you know, was doing his thing with the ear, you know, putting his hand up to his ear and the people just, you know, screaming. It was just, uh, I'd never seen anything like that in my life. That was uh, the Hulkamania era, if you will. You know, that that really was the, the charge. And, and obviously, you know, you need a star power like the Hulkster. And us yeah. being you know, 80s kids that we were, you know, we're you know, young kids at that point. But Hogan was like our guy. Yeah, so important. How important was he to like you guys backstage? You know, you, you hear a lot of the wrestlers say like, "Oh, you know, he, uh, you know, any card you're on, you make more money. Any, yep. you know, dollars you're involved with, you make more money." How important was he, you know, to you per se? Well, I'll, I'll tell you um, one thing. I always appreciate, and I still think back about it uh, when when you could really appreciate stuff like that. And you mentioned guys say when he was on the card that made more money. Well, we used to do, you know, shows at the Garden, uh, you know, Madison Square Garden, and then we'd also, you know, the Boston Garden. And uh, seeing that, that you, you really saw the respect that, that the boys had for each other is when you would go into these locker rooms, you know, and these were televised shows, but they were just, you know, local, you know, regional uh, cable network shows. So they were, they were in a lot of ways like a house show. And I remember you'd go into the locker room, and every single one of the boys... When they came in, and you'd be sitting there, and they would walk around and shake every single person's hand, and uh, and that's the way they like the headliner. It was like just like the old days, because if you got a big guy on top of the card like Hulk, and he's in town, you're going to make money that night because that's how those guys got paid back then. That's that's they didn't they weren't under contract. They didn't get money for uh, showing up to TV. They made money by being on the road like they did doing the show after show after show so you wanted big guys to be on the card um, and I think that when they saw what he had become probably early on they didn't think that but what he did become yeah it, he, he became a huge part and it was the same thing you know as an announcer I mean you wanted to I wanted to do that interview with him and Warrior I wanted to you know to do you know the, the, the big the, the best guys on the card you know the, the big guys and the big superstars and Hulk was always like that. He was certainly one of the guys that's bigger in life. And I remember seeing this uh, WWE documentary where they're saying you know, the top, I think it was the top 50 wrestlers, and I think Hulk was 20 or something. I was like, are you what? Are you kidding me? You know, how can how could you say that about that guy? He transformed professional wrestling into the stratosphere. 
and regardless of what has happened since or whatever people, you know, whatever falling out he had with the WWE, with the Times, whatever, you, but how can you deny that he's not one of the top five uh, most influential? And I, I don't understand that. And I, I, you know, I believe that. Uh, and I was never close to Hulk. I, I wasn't really, you know, he was, at that point, he was kind of in another level, and, and I, I wasn't on the road with him very often, and I didn't, but I certainly appreciated how he did promos, and I appreciated what he could do in the ring uh, as far as, you know, getting the folks to react and, and uh, putting people over and these massive, you know, say what you want about what he his wrestling ability, whatever, <laughs> didn't make a damn difference. Look how gigantic he was and what he did for uh, not just the WWF, WWE, but what he did for all of professional wrestling. Absolutely, and he was out of the top one on that list, I feel like. That's insane to me, you know what I mean? It's yeah. crazy. No, he was way down the list. I'm like, that, what? I mean, come on. I don't know what how that was put together, but that was made no sense. Now, one guy that you had great chemistry with, and he's possibly, you know, the quote-unquote biggest Hogan hater, you know, on TV, that is, Bobby the Brain Heenan. What was your chemistry like with him? You always seemed like he was kind of, you know, busting balls a little bit. Well, well, you know what? That's how you knew you were in with Bobby. If he did, you know, because if you understand the business, when somebody puts you over as a heel or a babyface, you know, that's good. If, if he ignores you, that means he didn't like you. And, you know, Bobby and, and Gorilla, uh, you know, Bobby never missed a chance to take a shot at me or something like that. I was, you know, this guy just in the event center. He didn't have to do that stuff, you know, like when I did it on primetime and he'd say, you know, Mooney, why don't you just hang it up? You're no good at this, you know, and your sister's better. Betty's better than this, you know, and uh, he, it, and I loved it. I mean, I loved when he did that stuff. And, uh, you know, it turned into that whole thing when I was getting married and he had the hidden camera in my honeymoon suite, you know, we had did this whole bit. Uh, he opened up a lot of stuff for me to get involved in just because of the stuff he did. So, uh, and, and besides just being, uh, you know, just so quick uh, with his, with his uh, wit and humor. And, you know, I, I was, uh, had a discussion the other day that, uh, you know, I don't know if he could have become who he became with the WWF today because they control the product so much. You know, Bobby was just, you know, I remember seeing... Uh, rundowns for primetime, whatever, it was just, you know, Gorilla welcomes, you know, Bobby does his thing, you know, it's basically just, you know, they put a phone out there, he would just pick it up and start, you know, talking or ordering pizza or, you know, whatever he did, and it was, you know, that was his, his true talent, um, besides what he did for the, you know, the wrestlers, the superstars as their manager, but he was also you know, a great announcer, and, uh, with Bobby and that chemistry, and that's uh, this podcast we just did this week. I hope folks will tune in to uh, Prime Time with Hacksaw Jim Duggan and Sean Mooney. Uh, uh, we talked about uh, Bobby and Gorilla, and what you know. I know people will say you know about announcers, and, and you know Gorilla was uh, people have their whatever their criticism of how he did play by play or whatever. But to me, that didn't. To me, it was all about entertainment, and there was never a duo, in my opinion, who were better. Together they were, you know, it was lightning in a bottle. I uh, totally agree. Monsoon and Hina were just pure entertainment. And yeah. at that point, I know people, yo, yeah, he's got to call the match. No, it was more about the story. And then it was the banter between them was absolutely hilarious. Oh, yeah. And, and, and uh, you know, the stuff on Wrestling Challenge when they would do the, the play-by-play and, you know, Bobby uh, going on, 
you know, throwing these lines out there. And yeah, sure, you're watching the matches, but we all knew what those matches were for. It was to build up, uh, you, know, you know, they would have somebody out there with a jobber or whatever, and he could do this stuff. And he, and and you know, an, another thing we talked about this week too is the the, the fact that you have a heel uh, teamed up with, uh, you know, an announcer. And then, you know, from the old days, it was always a, a baby face was with a, an announcer, and he would sit there and put the, you know, the, the face over and uh, trash the heel. Well, it was done differently when you have a heel out there was a completely different thing when bobby was trashing a baby face well he was putting him over when he was trying to build up you know the heel guy he was doing the same you know people hated him more hated the heel more you know so what he did the psychology of what he did was brilliant you know and and uh if you ever read his book and he talks about that how he learned that coming up that uh you know you didn't have to do things where you you know you would refuse to say something about somebody because it, you thought it would, it would make them look bad. Well, it it, it didn't. It, you were doing just the opposite thing. He knew that early on, and that's why he became who he became. Now, speaking of play by play, did you enjoy your time doing some play by play, or did you kind of prefer doing the backstage announcing kind of or events? No, I, you know, I loved it. It was—I didn't get many opportunities. I, I don't think Vince liked me as a play-by-play guy. I don't—I don't know why. I didn't think I was horrible. And Alfred and I, I think we used to have a lot of fun. But what was good about it is that when I did, we did a lot of matches and we did a lot of stuff that was for the international market because all that was just starting out, you know. And nobody knew what was going to go on and how big it was going to be. So they didn't—I'm not going to say they didn't pay attention to it—but we had a hell of a lot more freedom and. You know that it allowed me to become better because I didn't have anybody breathing down my neck saying no, that wasn't good. If I would have been thrown onto one of those shows, forget it. But it was me. It was Alfred and, and, uh, and me doing it, and, and Alfred helped me, and we, you know, we would we had fun, and I, I think I got a lot better. But I enjoyed it. I just never really uh, got the opportunity to take it further than, than uh, just doing you know a lot of the peripheral matches or stuff for the tapes and everything like that. But I, I had a good time doing it. I really did. So then how did the tapes come into play? Because obviously home video was was huge at the time, and we actually spoke to one of the original uh, guys behind Coliseum Video, and we talked about the early days, and I think by the time you had gotten there, uh, he might have been gone, but how did you kind of work your way into that? Were you hired specifically for television and then put to the Coliseum Videos, or was it kind of a marriage of both entities? Well, I think when it started to blow up where they you know, were putting out a lot more tapes, they needed somebody to host them, and I was—I lived in, in Norwalk, and I was in Stanford all the time. Gene didn't live there. Gene lived down in Florida, and he only came came up, you know, periodically. Um, but I was there, so it would it, it became pretty much part of my week. And you know, at some point we were we would shoot those things, you know, at least know, one every couple of weeks. We're we're putting them out, and we had a lot of fun doing them. Um, uh, we would come up with some theme and we would just run with it um, so and at that time too they just wanted to get them done so there wasn't a lot of people and the staff wasn't huge either so we didn't have you know writers a staff of writers coming up with you know do this and do this and do that we would just figure out ways how to get from this match to the next match and Alfred and I would, would just you know we'd improv basically and they went their way of going from just a straight you know, Sean Mooney introducing the matches, you know, whether you're in the library of uh, the WWE television studio or you're actually in the physical event center introducing the matches, uh, it evolved 
into being more of the themes. And when we would see you guys riding in a train car or out, you know, on a soundstage or even outside the building, just kind of riffing with people, you know, trying to get the tapes to the production, just wild stuff. But how did that kind of evolve? Was it just uh, trying to change it to, uh, you know, maybe switch the formula a little bit and uh, use that personality of a Lord Alfred Hayes and kind of play that comedy off each other? Yeah, and I think they saw how we were together uh, and, and let us kind of just go and do it. And I think they wanted to you know, make those things a little more interesting, stick with a theme, you know, try and have the, the tape themed. Uh, but <laughs> I think at one point, though, I think Vince must have seen some of the stuff we're doing. He was like, what the hell is that? You know, and, and uh, before I left, they kind of they really toned us down. They didn't uh, let us. I, I think that. But what was funny, because they, they it, it kind of went from that point they started doing a lot of that stuff so i i'm, I'm kind of proud of the fact that alfred and i you know we just did it and then kind of you know apologize later but uh i think a lot of people really enjoyed <laughs> having at least something you know colorful between the matches instead of just you know somebody standing there going okay and now let's take a look at this you know we we tried to make it fun and uh, speaking as somebody who ran to the uh, video store every month, you guys made it a ton of fun. But is there one skit or one vignette that you guys did that really stands out to you? Oh, man, there was a bunch of them. We, you know, we actually we shot one in England. I don't know if you remember seeing that one uh, where we had, uh, you know, the Sherlock Holmes and I was Watson. And uh, we went to this pub. And I'll tell you, you know, I had no idea how well known we were first time and we shot this in a, at this pub and uh we just had a blast we you know went to big ben and we do all these things and alfred of course was in his element just loving every minute and i remember he took me on one of the uh, freeways i'll call it a freeway i know that's what they not what they call it there but you could do like a hundred and something miles an hour on them and he, he scared the living daylights out of me <laughs> this rental car at about 110 miles i had in my life i don't think i'd ever gone that fast in a car and he tortured me everywhere we went you know we just and we're driving on the wrong side of the road which was even crazier for me but uh, that one really stands out uh one stupid one we did we didn't know what to do and, and uh, they had this old van i think it was i think it was andre's van that we used it just happened to be in stanford and we went out and shot it was alfred and i trying to get to uh, some place to deliver the tapes or something and the thing and the van breaks down and uh, one of the little bits we did, Alfred is underneath the, the van, and I'm supposed to drop a wrench. I'm supposed to hit him. Well, I thought that we were doing the bit, whatever, and Alfred wasn't ready, and I dropped the wrench and hit him in the head. <laughs> There's so many of them, and that yeah, that one definitely stands out. I got to tell you, the hottest matches uh, that stands out where they kept turning the temperature up on you, and you're sweating like a pig yeah. the entire uh, the entire tape, or. The, uh, the pun of the super tape uh, voiceover, the voice of God uh, scaring you every, after every match would come back to the studio. I and mean, there's just so many of them. And, and we really... Track one, uh, the, I saw another one somebody I saw, uh, sent me the other day as a gif of we're at an airplane and Alfred's the pilot and I'm trying to get... I'm, I'm trying to... <laughs> I'm on the radio. And then all of a sudden I pull up and then, you know, it's a wire. <laughs> it's like, yeah, we... We were, pretty, we, were, we were pretty silly. It was uh, it was Abbott and Costello, a bad Abbott and Costello, but we still had a blast doing it. Oh, the timing was fantastic. And then, of course, you know, like just like with the event center or just like with the face-to-face, -face, you know, you throw in 
the superstars and then they're doing the the, ske the sketches and they're doing, you know, cooking with the berserker or the bushwhackers, you know, down under. Did you kind of see the guys maybe letting their hair down a little bit more and that the fact that they got to do something funny or do you think some of the guys thought this was kind of goofy and making them look stupid? Oh, come on. Let, let these guys are going out to the rings with, uh, you know, uh, some shoulder pads with spikes sticking out of them. No, they were always... I, I think that they... They loved being able to do stuff outside of that too. I mean, some of them, you know, maybe not. But there, there were a few. I won't mention names. But there, but for the most part, uh, you know, like when we did prime time uh, with a live audience, and we used to bring the guys in, and we do little skits with them, like the one, like you know, I was up on the roof with the guys, and uh, you know, we did, we did something going on out the parking lot or something. You know, they, yeah, the guys love to do stuff like that. And plus, anything that they where they got to be put over, they were, they, you know to make them money and it's going to you know help their character out so yeah they were for the most part all of them were really you know good to work with and after i'd worked with them you know for a long time they were comfortable being around me so uh, i think that they really enjoyed it i certainly did oh there's so many great ones but you know you kind of talk about that prime time live studio audience and you did take over after a while but it started off with vince as the host of the show and i got to ask you did Vince ask you to wear any of those crazy uh, early 90s jumpsuits that he used to wear? Did he ever try to get you to wear one? Well, you know, it's, yeah, that was a that was a phase that remember all the all the boys were wearing them too. It was kind of the but no, I was never I didn't have the physique that you had to have uh, you had to have the uh, the pecs and the you know the pythons to to be able to to put that stuff on. <laughs> I remember that though. That was that I'm glad that phase didn't last very long. I liked the three-piece suits better. Yeah, Vince wore those very proudly, and he had basically every color, every style, every pattern that they could have had. And I just saw a clip, somebody had some video up on Facebook, and it was uh, when they were actually doing the WBF show, the bodybuilding show, and it was a montage of all his outfits that he wore on WBF, and it was the same thing. It was these patterns and these shapes and these colors, and you think back to the early 90s, it might have been a heyday for wrestling, but fashion-wise, yikes, uh, I got to take a step back on that one. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, you mentioned the WBF, and uh, we're going to be doing a, a podcast on that coming up because I was, I was very involved with a lot of the, the promotion for that. Um, you know, they had a couple of shows they did. I they did a show called uh, Body Stars, which was supposed to be the uh, like workouts of the rich and famous, and uh, I would go out and shoot these uh, things. Uh, you know, these uh, as a correspondent for the show, and I went to you know. Uh, Jumped out of an airplane. I did. I went to a, uh, uh, you know, a, a stuntman school, and uh, and then also saw. I was there. I did the live event, which I think to this day still has a record for the lowest pay-per-view audience in the history of television, because it was a disaster. And then when I'm, I have some great stories to tell about that when we do the WBF episode, because that was a you know, collision between uh, these bodybuilders and then you have these superstars and it was it was it was really uh crazy so that's one folks should look out for because uh that one's coming up now it's appointment podcasting right there and i don't want to take anything away from that episode but i just one quick follow-up on the wbf and that's you know if you kind of relate it to other failed products like you got the xfl or you have some of the other the the, the restaurant in times square some of the other things that vince you know, wanted to get his uh, his feet wet with. Do you think the WBF on paper 
may have been more of what Vince McMahon wanted than obviously, you know, what it was uh, in the final product because they really didn't do anything. They were just kind of uh, pumping guys up and, and there wasn't really that much of a, uh, I don't know, a master plan, it seemed, at least from a fan's point of view. But how about from your point of view? Well, I think, you know, uh, going into the, the Vince had a, a very, uh, you know, specific goal in that and, and, you know, not just to make money, but I mean, he wanted, he, he wanted to change bodybuilding. He thought, you know, he thought that it, it was, you know, boring and that it needed, that you could change it by giving these guys, you know, making them characters or have a persona. And, uh, but the bottom line of it was to sell supplements, Icopro. And that, and that your, you know, your, your stage would be bodybuilding. Uh, it just, <laughs> it just didn't work. And there's a, there's a few reasons for that. And I have, uh, you know, like I can talk about a few of them, but, um, that's, you know, it, it's you know, one thing that Vince has always known is wrestling. And whenever he's done that, you know, it, everything turns to gold. But these you know, other ventures uh, haven't worked out so well. No, absolutely. And when you think about some of those failed ventures, that's more past your era. It was really the WBF was the only one kind of in that uh, where anything he... T- they had movies there. Also, I remember there's a few movies that were in there, too, that, you know, but, uh, yeah. I didn't, uh, the other stuff, but the XFL, yeah, that was, that was not, I was gone by that. Oh yeah. Now that was, uh, that was a little bit down the road in 2001, but then, you know, you have all the different markets, you have all the shows, the syndicated shows, and you mentioned your sister Betty, but then you also have your brother Ian. And now to let the two man power trip of wrestling, uh, audience in on it, you know, Chad is the kayfabe name and my real name being Ian. Uh, we took a lot of pride. We took a lot of pride having an Ian on television. So, did you kind of like switching that up and playing your evil twin brother Ian Mooney on Wrestling Spotlight? Yeah, but uh, and that's another thing I'm going to be talking about down the road here. Um, but uh, I mentioned, you know, Betty, and you know, people I've got people ask me all the time, you know, what 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 made you, you know, do Betty? Like she was another character I played or something, and thing is that there was never a Betty uh, in, in any shape or form. It wasn't me playing a, a woman or anything like that. That was all Bobby. Bobby would just throw that out there all the time, you know, and people believed it, started believing it, that, that there, there was some character or somebody. Um, Ian was a different story, and you know, I came down, they needed somebody to host Wrestling Spotlight, and uh, I wanted to take Ian a lot farther than he ever got the opportunity. <laughs> I mean, I really wanted an evil twin. I just didn't get one. It was a problem. We could have done, I could have had a lot of fun with that. And uh, if Court Bauer ever does get a hold of this, uh, I could be a very good consultant to uh, Sean Mooney and, uh, and the hacksaw there because, like I said, you know, having an Ian on television was quite the, the, you know, the, quite the uh, remarkable thing at that point. But Wrestling Spotlight, you know, it was just another addition to that amazing uh, lineup of syndicated shows that you had and whether it was challenge or superstars or all american or even then yeah prime time which later would become raw and then uh wwf mania would be added kind of around the time as you were heading out but did you find that to be a little bit and i think there's even other ones like cavalcade which is up in canada and you have then international superstars like you mentioned before did you kind of see that Really, anything that they put on television was going to be sold to a market. And do you think they could have actually kept on adding 
more content. Even let's not forget Madison Square Garden Network, you know, Philadelphia, Boston, they all had their own individual television. And basically you guys could make up, you could fart 30 minutes and put it on a WWF brand and you guys could sell that to a network. Did you kind of think anything the WWF touched would turn to gold at that point for television? Well, yeah, and, and, and look what they've done since. I mean, we had, uh, when I first started there, they, you know, they had uh, three pay-per-views and then they added the, the battle royal and then you know that was four and that's in like a lot well god no well, now they do them every two weeks and i thought then like how much more can we do but then you got to also remember the international market was really just starting to open up and they had you know england the sky television was really the first real opportunity for them to see how it was going to sell around the world and then they also started doing tours in the middle east and that but, yeah, it was compared to what it is today. And I remember thinking, Mike, how much more can we do? Well, I had, I had no idea. Uh, and it's, it's, yeah, you're right. There was just so much back then. But, God, it doesn't compare to what, what they're doing today. Now, what about your WWF departure at that point? Obviously, you know, you'd be around for Survivor Series 92 and a little bit of Monday Night Raw. But what kind of mm-hmm. led to, you know, the, the last appearance around, I guess, it was around WrestleMania 9? And they kind of the contract expires, or, or what happens there? Well, you know, I had uh, I kind of reached a point where I'm saying, okay, am I going to do this forever, or you know? And if you remember, the, the company was a little bit of trouble. There was a lot of stuff going on there, and that wasn't even it. It wasn't like I wasn't loyal to this company, but um, when I was there during those years, from '88 to you know '93 was very family oriented they really were going after the kids you know and we had a lot of that it was all family you know centered and that started to change a little bit and i wasn't uh you know wasn't really comfortable with how, what the stuff we we're doing and 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 i got i become tired of doing the event center i just you know market after market and i really wanted to do other stuff and, and try and you know open up doing other things but they couldn't you know they brought people in to try and do the events and, and they couldn't do it and so uh it, it wasn't a you know a, a point where i didn't like doing what i was doing so much as uh, or i didn't like the company anymore or i didn't like vince or anything and we actually had a, a meeting i went over and talked to him and i said because my contract was coming up and i said uh i'd already prepared a letter it was my I don't know, you call it a resignation letter, but it was just that I'm not renewing my contract. And, you know, I don't think he believed me that I, he said, well, what are you going to do? And I said, I don't know. I, I really don't. And, so, and he goes, you're going down south, aren't you? And I'm like, no, I'm not. And I, I don't know if he ever really, you know, I just think he kept waiting to see me show up down there. And he asked me to stay for, I don't know, it was another month or something. And I did and fulfilled that. And really, I didn't. Really, I didn't know what I was going to do. I had some ideas, but I just at that point I just needed a break, and uh, and and I left. And it wasn't there wasn't bad feelings or anything. And and when I about a year later after I got the job in, at WWOR, and then I became one of the anchors there, he sent me uh, an overnight telegram congratulating me, and I was really touched by that. But I also think for him it was it, it gave. The, the WWF a lot of credibility in a sense, you know, here's somebody within a year, I'm on broadcast television in New York and nobody had really done that to that, made that transition like that before. And so, um, 
that meant a lot to me. It's, I still uh, am honored by that till today. You know, so <clears throat> it wasn't like this. They didn't fire me. I didn't. We didn't have any falling out. It's just that I was at that point. I, I just was uh, uh, had gotten married and uh, had a child on the way, and it was like well, you know what? Uh, I need I need to do something different. And when you were with uh, WWOR, I think the only reason to watch the news or watch that station was basically you <coughs> and the sports shows that were going on. Yeah. Well, you know what's so funny about that is when I worked at Major League Baseball Productions, I had worked with Tim McCarver the announcer, you know, very closely. I got to be, we worked on a, a show that we developed uh, there. I was also a producer. A lot of people don't know that, but uh, we did a show called Greats of the Game. Myself, another producer, Joe Levine, who became a super producer over at HBO and produced all those great um, sports documentaries, you know, uh, Cosell and all those. He was the my producing partner. Anyway, when Timmy was doing uh, the, the, the Mets games, and we would have to sit in studio until the game was over, and he would say, nah, <laughs> I'm going to co- throw it to my good friend, Sean Mooney, and I'm sure people at home going like, what? You know, like, he's just, he just working there. No, it was, we were, you know, we were pretty good friends, <laughs> but I always thought that was funny. I'd be sitting in the studio, and he's throwing it to me to do the late night news, you know? <laughs> that is great. Definitely yeah. thought that he was kind of just smoothing it up, saying, oh, he is my friend, yeah. but, you know, yeah. he really was. It was kind of cool. Yeah, we used to uh, we used to ride in. We actually used to ride in, uh, ride. We'd go out to the game because we had press passes, you know, uh, for the games. And uh, we would go to the games, watch the game, and he'd wrap. You know, they'd wrap up the game, and we'd go up to the announce booth, and then he would give us a ride back into the city, and we'd go to like P.J. Clark's for, you know, a bite, a, you know, a midnight bite there. Uh, but you know, that that was we had a great time. That's you know I, I, that's another podcast I should do. Just those years I was in Major League Baseball productions. <laughs> People would love uh, hearing. There you some, go. I got some great ones. <laughs> now, as we start to wind it down a bit here, I gotta ask. You know, you've had so many guys that you've worked with. You know, as far as you know, commentating partners or you know, um, basically announcer partners. You, know, you had Bob Brain, Lord Alfred Hayes, obviously. Gorilla was kind of a bit of a mentor to you. Vince oh, yeah. out. Do you have a favorite guy that you worked with? Would it be your Abedicus Keller? Would it be Lord Alfred? Uh, yeah, I would say, you know, friendship-wise and somebody who I will never forget who helped me get through that first year, uh, Alfred. And uh, just a, a genuinely, uh, you know, a gentleman. I mean, there people who uh, got a chance to, to know him know exactly what I'm talking about. Alfred was just that kind of a person, and um, and and so funny, you know. Too, he was that sense of humor he had, and I look back because I never got to see a lot of the stuff of him when he was a wrestler, you know. And he was he was an incredible heel and did great promos in these you know these indie markets when he was over here. So yeah, he would definitely be top of my top of my list. But Gorilla too, Gorilla was just you know so awesome to me. I tell the story in the podcast this week. I hope folks will tune in about uh, something we did after I left the WWF together uh, that I jumped at the opportunity to do it just because I knew that I probably wouldn't be seeing him a lot after that and it, not just because I knew his health wasn't great but you know I was going into another I was going down another trail you know but that was uh, a special time and I got uh, a great story of the uh, tune into this week's episode I loved it 
he's in the, uh, the podcast. I love him. Yeah. Oh, hey, I still know how to work here, you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's helped me throughout my whole life. <laughs> as far as backstage interviews, and obviously, you know, I go for the gamut of guys, the Hogan, the Macho Man, the yeah. Warriors, uh, the Jake the Snake Roberts, the Pipers, so many characters, so many guys that stand out. Who's your favorite guy to, an, you know, to interview backstage? Man, God, that's... Uh, you know, Boss uh, Man was really great. I mean, talking like just, you know, for cut promos with, like that kind of... That yeah, was, kind of, yeah, yeah uh, kind of like uh, you know, unpredictable but fun. Yeah, well, Kurt Hennig was just awesome. I, I loved that guy. He was... Uh, uh, you didn't want to have him pulling ribs on you because there was nobody who was better at that. But, I mean, his, uh, he, he was just a great guy, and I loved the way he did interviews. You know, Shut up, Mooney. Uh, you know, you're talking about putting you over. Um, but he, I thought he was really great. Uh, Jake the Snake Roberts, I, th- I think I tweeted out that, the, you know, a week or so ago. But, you know, Jake, and I, I always called it the slow burn. You know, he had this slow burn whenever he talks, you know. That, uh, you know and, and nobody else really could pull that off like he did. And, you know, you look at the guy, you know, that he was never this big, uh, you know, ripped superstar guy. But, man, was he over. And, and, you know, besides the snake, he didn't need that, you know, that he was a really good uh, tactician in the ring. But, man, he was he was great uh, in front of the microphone, too. Did you have any, like, favorite wrestlers? Obviously, you know, we were talking about guys to interview, but have you had any? kind of favorite wrestlers that were like your best friends outside of the business that you you know that you would really kind of go to bat for that we wouldn't even think of who i wouldn't think of well uh you know i used to do i did a lot of appearances and, and a guy that you never was never over really big though was but hillbilly jim like one of the oh, nicest yeah. guys in the business and i to this day i've heard you know people that he's still doing shows and that thing but back then i used to, i loved doing appearances with him he was just a great guy and, and you know had a great time with him know really smart you know he had this you know his hillbilly whatever his uh, you know gimmick was but he was all he, it was funny because here's this guy with you know, overalls and this big shaggy hair and this beard but it was you know his i think his his overalls were pressed he had you know he had cologne on he always like smelled really like anything you'd think that here's this hillbilly you know he wasn't anything like that but but he could see you know he's played his, his gimmick well he was great uh, yeah, he was he was always fun because we did like I said we did a lot of appearance. You know, another guy that I uh, I'll have to do a podcast about is Freddie Blassie because I got to know him really well too because he lived in Scarsdale, New York, and uh, we did a lot of stuff together too. I was always the guy that because I lived there, I went on a lot of the appearances in New York. And Freddie and I we used to have so much fun. They'd send us these golf tournaments, you know, and Freddie couldn't play a lick. I mean, he was every part of his body was fused, you know. So, but he would ride in the cart with me and uh, just, you know, heckle people, yell at people while they're swinging and pretty classy, you know. But he, he was somebody else that uh, was just awesome to be around. You know, you want to learn about the business, man. You could spend a lunch with him, and that would you'd be <laughs> pretty damn educated. Yeah. Now, was there ever like a favorite event that you were part of? Would it be one of SummerSlams, like what's kind of your favorite go-to event that you were a part of? Well, I think my first WrestleMania in Atlantic City, 
uh, I think that one stands out to me too because that was the first time I saw this real spectacle that I was a part of. I, mean, I had been to other shows, or whatever, but that was, you know, gigantic, and they had all the celebrities there, and you know, everything was first class, and uh, that stands out to me because uh, that was for the first time where you know they had they were doing all the fan fests, and it, it was just an incredible event. I mean, it wasn't it was so much more than just the show, or just you know the event. All these other things going around, and Donald Trump, you know, his credit, man, he he opened the doors, and that that was a, I think, a really successful WrestleMania. And that's one that stands out in my mind. I wonder if Donald Trump ever went on to do anything with his life and his career. I wonder yeah, whatever happened. I don't know. You heard about him lately? <laughs> <laughs> now, interestingly enough, you were on the Edge and Christian show, obviously part of the WWE Network, not too yeah. long ago. When they approach you to do that kind of thing, people always are going to say, would you ever go back to WWE now? So when you're doing stuff like that, I know it's just for fun, but do you ever consider in the back of your mind, like, maybe I would return to the WWE if they offered me something? Well, it's, I wouldn't want to be in the situation where you're doing the everyday, uh, you know, NXT and, and things like that, or the announcers. I would never want to have to. And, and, you know, it's they're basically, you know, and to their credit, I, they're talented. I mean, I worked with Charlie, I, I think is a very talented woman, I, but but uh, they don't really give you the opportunity anymore. And it's just the style, the way they do things now. You know, the, the announcers, like Gene, you know, when Okerlund did his thing, he would say, you know, you're nuts, you know, and that whole thing. Just the way he said it, that delivery and his reaction, well, you, you don't, they don't want, you're not a part of that anymore. So I don't think it'd be as nearly as much fun. But I would love, uh, you know, and I'd, I love doing the vintage stuff. I would love to do something on a regular basis, you know, uh, where I could come back there and maybe shoot stuff for some of the stuff that's from the, the vintage years. Um, uh, they, you know, they know I'd love to, too. I've been in contact with them on different occasions. I still know a lot of the people there, and, you know, who knows? Every once in a while, like they said, two months ago I got that call, and I'm like, yeah, I'm in. You know, I still have friends back there. It gives me an excuse to go and see them, you know, hang out with them, play golf. <laughs> I got to tell you, all is right in the wrestling world as long as Sean Mooney is back calling some WWE action. And before we wrap it up, and we will do one he- big, huge plug here at the end for the for the podcast. Uh, yeah, yeah, no, I got it. You, we're not going to let you off, and you talked about the MLB production. I can't let you go without asking. Tim McCarver, 1985-1986, you're working for the MLB in New York City. I, I got to know, were there any run-ins with the Mets Tim McCarver, obviously being their their play by play guy, did you have any paths crossed with the infamous and my favorite team of all time, the 1986 New York Mets? I got to cover that. I mean, that was uh, I was there when uh, the, the the ball went between the legs, and uh, yeah, it was. Uh, I I I had an office full of Met fans, and uh, that was an incredible run. That happened, and uh, you know, so you had, your, you had your Yankee fans, but for some reason, I don't know where these guys came from, but we had a lot of guys that were Mets fans that grew up out in Queens, and you know, so we had to put up with that. <laughs> but it was awesome. It was, yeah, I I got to see some incredible uh, baseball, and uh, you know, right there, in the locker rooms and dugouts, and it was, uh, you know. Being a, when I started there, I was 22 years old and didn't know a damn thing about television or anything else. And to, you know, have been able to 
been privileged to, to, first of all, see that. And then, like I said, I did that show, Grapes of the Game, so I get to be around all these Hall of Famers, Ted Williams, Mickey Mantle, you know, the list goes on and on. And then work for the WWF. I don't know how I don't know how I top that, you know. I, and and believe me, I pre, I appreciated every single second of it to this day. So sometime we'll have more time, or maybe I'll get in on a podcast. You can tune in and hear all about it. Uh, well, I'll be putting in my application for host of that uh, podcast specifically. But hey, listen, if you could uh, hang in the 1986 Mets locker room, then you were going to be just fine in the WWF locker room. Not too uh, long after that, because I don't think there's too many things that are uh, that different about those two locker rooms. No, no, no. Not back then. Oh, God, are you kidding? Nails and all those guys and uh, Strawberry and oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah. It, you're, that, that's, that was, that's a pretty damn good comparison because those guys were bigger than life and they were these kids just having a blast. So... Yeah. And we could use about 12 of them right now uh, on the current Met team to try to make this push just to get to 500 this late in the season. But I digress. Now let's talk about the podcast, the big plug, Prime Time with Hacksaw, Jim Duggan, and Sean Mooney on the MLW radio network. Like I, We've been talking about it. I love it. But Sean, you know this has been a lot of fun. And please, I'm going to give you the floor here to, to just talk about the podcast one more time. Share with everybody your social media, where they can find you again. And please, it's been the pleasure. It's been all ours. This has been an absolute highlight of mine. I know John as well. But please tell us about the podcast, and then the floor is yours. Well, you know, I'll tell you that uh, I real I enjoyed uh, talking to you guys. Uh, uh, I'd love to come back sometime. We can, uh, you know, tell you more of, of these stories. In the meantime, folks, so really, as uh, as Chad mentioned, that uh, we'd love to have you tune into Prime Time with Hacksaw Jim Duggan and Sean Mooney. Uh, you can get it on iTunes, subscribe, and download it there. We'd love to have you give us a five-star rating if you like it. Uh, give us a rating as well. Tell us what we can do better. And uh, I also, not you know, just outside of the podcast, I love hearing from people now. I, I'm really, I just get a kick out of it. And every day, you know, people ask me these questions, and I'll answer, I promise. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at, at Sean Mooney Who. Uh, and also, there we have our own uh, our Twitter account for uh, Primetime MLW, at Primetime MLW. And, of course, you can catch the podcast on MLWRadio.com. But really, uh, I'd love to hear from you guys out there. So let us know what you'd like to have me talk about, and uh, I'll come back again sometime, guys. I appreciate it. Oh, my gosh. The, the, the door is always open for Sean Mooney. Uh, we would love to have some kind of specific topic, just like you do on your show. Thank you, Sean. This has been absolutely unbelievable, and uh, it's been a lot of fun. Thanks for listening to the two-man power trip of wrestling. What the world is downloading.